Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi, and welcome back to this uh, Old Testament podcast. This will be for Exodus chapter 7. So I'm going to read you a little bit of uh, about the plagues here first. Uh, and the question is asked, how many plagues were there? You think you know? Maybe you don't. Okay. <laughs> Before describing in detail the plagues of Egypt, a few general remarks will be helpful to our understanding of the subject. First, the plagues were miraculous, yet not so much as in themselves, as in the manner, is in the time and the measure in which they uh, they came upon Egypt. Not a, None of them was wholly unknown in Egypt, but had visited the land at some time or other and in some, more, and in some measure. As so often, the Lord here employed ordinary na- natural events. The supernaturalness of the plagues consisted in their severity, their successive occurrence, their coming and going at the word of Moses, their partial extent, and the unusual seasons and manner in which they appeared. Second, we mark in them a regular arrangement and steady progress. Properly speaking, there were only nine plagues, the tenth stroke being in reality the commencement of judgment by Jehovah himself when he went out into the midst of Egypt to slay its firstborn. Of these nine, the first three were in connection with that river and soil which formed the boast of Egypt and the object of its worship. They extended over the whole country, and at the third the magicians confessed, This is the finger of God. By them the the land was laid low in its pride and in its religion. The other six came exclusively upon the Egyptians, as the Lord had said. I will put a division between my people and thy people to the end that thou mayest know that I am Jehovah in the midst of the land. If the first three plagues had shown the impotence of Egypt, the others proved that Jehovah reigned even in the midst of Egypt. Finally, the three last strokes were not only far more terrible than any of the others, but intended to make, Jeho- to make Pharaoh know that there is none like me in all the earth. This is the literal meaning of the word rendered plague. Philo, however, and most interpreters speak of ten plagues and regard their number as symbolical of completeness. So literally, and not earth, to show that um, Jehovah, he is God, that he was such in the midst of of Egypt, and finally that there was none like him in the midst of all the earth, or that Jehovah was the the living and the true God. Such was the threefold object of these strokes. And third, in reference to the duration of these strokes, the interval between them and the length of time occupied by all, we know that the first plague lasted seven days, and that the killing of the firstborn in the Passover occurred in the night of the 14th Abib, or Nisan, corresponding to about the beginning of April. In reference to the seventh plague, that of the hail, we have this, this statement to guide us at this time, to its time, the flax and the barley was smitten, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was boiled or in blossom, but the wheat and the tree and the, the wheat and the rice, or rather the spelt, were not smitten, for they were not grown. This would fix the time as about the end of January or the beginning of February, giving an interval of at least eight weeks between the seventh and tenth and the tenth stroke, or if we might take this as an average of more than two weeks between each plague. Computed at this rate, the first stroke 
would have fallen in September or October, that is, after the cessation of the annual overflow of the Nile. But this seems unlikely, not only because the red coloring ordinarily appearing or appears in the river at the commencement of its increase, but because the expressions seem to imply that the river was then at its rise and not on the decrease, and especially because just before this the Israelites are represented as gathering stubble for their bricks, which must have been immediately after the harvest or about the end of April. Hence, it seems more likely, as most interpreters suppose, that the first stroke fell upon Egypt about the middle of June, in which case from the first plague an interval of about ten months would have elapsed prior to the slaying of the firstborn. All this time did the Lord deal with Egypt, and Pharaoh was on on his trial. There is, as we have already indicated, a terrible irony about the plagues of Egypt, since in the the things in which Egypt exalted itself, it was laid low. That was all by Edersheim. Verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a prophet to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy spokesman. Thou shalt speak unto thy brother all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And Pharaoh will harden his heart, as I said unto thee, and thou shalt multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Notice that uh, in the JST, it changes where it says before in the King James, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, where now it says, and Pharaoh's heart will will har- and Pharaoh will harden his heart. So that's quite a bit of difference there. Verse 4, But Pharaoh will not hearken, but if Pharaoh will not hearken, then I will. Um, that's the Hebrew or the Greek translation, or the Hebrew translation. Let me read that again. But Pharaoh will not hearken unto you. Therefore I lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, whoops, not and, <laughs> my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand unto Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore three years old, when they spake unto, unto Pharaoh. Still, though hardly fought, the contest was gained, and Moses and Aaron confronted a second time the king of Egypt. On this occasion, Aaron, when challenged by Pharaoh, proved his fight to speak in the name of God. He cast down his rod, and it became a serpent, and although the magnificent Although the magicians of Egypt did in like manner with their enchantments, the superiority of Aaron appeared when his rod swallowed up their rods. Without here entering into the into the general question of magic before the coming of, the, of our Lord, or of the power which the devil and his agents may have wielded on earth before the, our Savior subdued his might and, let, and led captivity captive, there was really nothing in which in what the Egyptian magicians did that eastern jugglers do not profess to do this day. To make a serpent stiff and to look like a rod, and then again suddenly to restore it to life, are among the the commonest tricks witnessed by travelers. St. Paul mentions the names of Janus and Jambres as, as those who withstood Moses, and his statement is not only confirmed by Jewish tradition, but even referred to by the Roman writer Pliny. Both their names are Egyptian, and one of them occurs in an ancient Egyptian document. In this connection, it is also important to notice that the Hebrew term for the serpent into which Aaron's rod was changed is not that commonly used, but bears a more specific meaning. It is not the same term as that for the serpent, Nakash, by which Moses was to accredit his mission before his own people, but it indicated the kind of serpent 
tannin, specific, especially used by Egyptian conjurers, and bore pointed reference to the to the serpent as the great symbol of Egypt. Hence also the expression dragon, which is the proper rendering of the word, is frequently in scripture used to denote Egypt. Accordingly, Pharaoh should have understood that when Aaron's rod swallowed up the others, it pointed to the vanquishment of Egypt and the executing of judgment against all the gods of Egypt. Willfully to shut his eyes to this and to regard Aaron and Moses as magicians, whom his own equaled in power, was to harden his heart and to call down those terrible plagues which ushered in the final judgment upon Pharaoh and his people. So notice that the sign of or the symbol of Egypt is the serpent, and for Moses's or for Aaron's staff to swallow up the staff or the serpents of the Egyptians here is symbolic of overcoming Egypt. Verse 8, And the Lord spake unto Moses, and said unto, and said, and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall... Well, man, I'm just having trouble here. I have slow of speech, I guess. Verse 9, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle, or prove yourselves by, by performing a miracle, that I may know you, then, sh then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh, who also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did as like in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. All down through the ages, and in almost all countries, men have exercised great occult and mystical powers, even to the healing of the sick and the performing of miracles. Soothsayers, magicians, and astrologers were found in the courts of ancient kings. They, have, they had certain powers by which they divined and solved the monarch's problems, dreams, etc., one of the most striking examples of this is recorded in Exodus, where Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers who duplicated some of the miracles the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron to perform. When Aaron threw down his rod, it became a serpent. The Egyptian magicians threw down their rods, and they also became serpents. The Savior declared that Satan had the power to bind bodies of men and women and sorely afflict them. If Satan has power to bind the bodies, he surely must have power to loose them. It should be remembered that Satan has great knowledge and thereby can exercise authority and to some extent control the elements when some greater power does not intervene. Verse 13, And Pharaoh hardened his heart that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Again, a JST difference there. There is no provision in the law of faith that miracles will, see, will create faith. Signs follow, they do not precede. Verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning, lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come, in other words, to meet him, and the, and the rod which was turned into a, to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand, and thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of Hebrews of the Hebrews hath sent me and, and, and unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness, and behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, the Nile, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon 
upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did, the, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to, to this also. That's a Hebrew idiom, which means paying no regard even to this. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river of water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten the river. The first stroke, or plague, early in the morning, during the rise of the Nile, Pharaoh went down to the river to offer unto its waters the customary divine worship. Probably he was accompanied by his wise men and magicians. Here he was confronted by Moses with the message of God. On his refusal to listen, Moses smote as he had threatened the waters with the rod of God, and the Nile in all its branches, canals, cisterns, and reservoirs becomes red like blood. Such a change of color in the Nile was by no means uncommon, or Pharaoh would scarcely have quite hardened his heart against the miracle. In ordinary times, this appearance of the river arises partly from the red earth, which the swollen waters carry with them, and partly from the presence of small cryptogamic uh, plants and animacules or infusoria. The supernaturalness of the event lay in in its suddenness and its appearance at the command of Moses, and in the now altered qualities of the water, the fish that was in the river died, thus depriving the people of one of the main staples of their food. And the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink it of the water of the river, thus cutting off the main supply of their drink. Somehow the magicians, however, contrived to imitate this miracle, probably on some of the water that had been drawn before the rod had smitten the river. And so for seven days throughout the whole land of Egypt, the blood-like, undrinkable water in every household, vessel of wood or of earthenware, and in the large uh, stone troughs which stood for general use in in the corners of streets and on village roads, bore testimony for Jehovah, and the Egyptians had to, had to dig round about the river that their drinking water might be filtered for use. But Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to, to this also. All right, so that's the end of the chapter. Um, so we'll get into the rest of the plagues later on. Um, hope you come back. Talk to you next time. Bye.